you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ecclesiastes. In the Bible, there's a story that uh, resembles the tragedy that happened at Eden. There was a son who has everything, everything that he could possibly want. He's got the best food, nice clothes, a great job, a father who loves him deeply and is willing to give him anything. Never really wants for anything in his father's house. But the son is not content. He wants more. He wants to go out and and experience life. See what, what the world outside of the father's house has to offer. So he rebels, and he rebels in a particularly ugly way. He asks the father for his inheritance early, which is, which is the same as, as saying, I wish you were dead already. Give me my money. It's hurtful and dishonoring, unloving, a total act of rejection. And so hurt and frustrated, the father gives the son his inheritance. Gives his foolish son what he thinks he wants. Did the father know what was going to happen? I think he might have. So the son takes this great sum of money and goes out into the world to experience life. And and he's convinced that what is out there is going to be so much better. And he believed the the lie that, that so many others before him and after him believed. That you'll be fulfilled with more, more, more money or, or more food or more wine or more laughter or more sex or more of something. That's, that's really going to make you happy. The prodigal son discovers through foolishness the exact same thing that the preacher of Ecclesiastes discovered with his great wisdom still intact. They both discover meaningless meaningless everything is meaningless the foolish son does not find any lasting value or meaning in his carousing right we know how the story ends and and as he's wallowing with those pigs what's the thing that that son wants what's the thing that that he's thinking of it's is it is it more money so that he can go out and do more drinking and more partying no, he's realized by this point just how empty and worthless that life is. No, he, he just wants to go home. It actually said that, that while he was, was coveting the slop that he was feeding the pigs, he comes to his senses. He thought, he thought that it would be better to be the ruler of his own life. But now all he wants is to go and be a a slave in his father's house. Oh, I had it so good there. I had everything I ever wanted there. I've been so foolish. Why didn't I just enjoy all of the good gifts from my loving father's hand when I had them? 
the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes experiments with some of the exact same things that the prodigal son had tried. But the preacher does so from this place of wisdom and careful evaluation. He wants to know what really matters in this life. What is it that is worth doing? Where are we going to find meaning in this existence, in this time that we have under the sun? And so he sets out to search for something that's meaningful. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. This preacher never really reveals his name, just identifies himself with his role as preacher, but it's most likely King Solomon or someone writing in Solomon's voice. King Solomon was the king that had been uh, gifted wisdom from God. God said, I'll give you any wish you want, and he wanted wisdom to be able to rule the kingdom. And 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 with that wisdom, he had also accumulated a great deal of wealth. And so with his wisdom and his resources in hand, he goes out to search for the meaning of life. Verse 14 says, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. His, his search for meaning, his search for something that matters, causes him to, to lament in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Maybe it's better just to stay dumb. Maybe blissful ignorance is easier. At least to some degree, when you're just a simpleton, you never ask the questions about meaning and purpose and you just plod forward. Maybe, maybe we're better off with that kind of existence. Because wisdom and knowledge, they carry with it a weight, right? Truth is hard sometimes because truth is not always happy and pleasant. Especially when we live in a broken and fallen world. Wisdom carries responsibility with it. And we're gonna, we're gonna see and understand 
this weight, this grief more and more as we listen to his sermon. In chapter 2, the preacher turns his attention to systematically investigating the kinds of things that people tend to put their meaning and significance in. And he begins with the most common one. He begins with the same starting point that the prodigal son started from. He says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. Behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. I had to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So pleasure and laughter and drinking, they're all tried and, and they're all found to be wanting. I don't, does that come to, as a surprise to any of us that pleasure is not the meaning of life? We probably already have discovered that in our own lives, right? But man, there are a lot of people who act like it is, who their whole purpose, their whole meaning in their life is just to search after that next tiny little moment of pleasure. That's, that's all their existence is, is these little grabs for momentary happiness that, that float away really quickly. So many of us seem to be just, that's, that's what we live for. In the words of the great poets and philosophers from the 1980s, uh, lover boy, everybody is working for the weekend, right? TGIF. <laughs> we just, we can't wait for the weekend because when the weekend gets here, then we can really live. That's when life starts. Now I'm going to, I'm, I'm still going to sing that song whenever it comes on the radio. But man, what an awful way to live your life. It's meaningless. Chasing after wind. So pleasure and laughter and drinking are not the meaning of life. They're not the end that we were created for. They're not something that you and I should build our lives on. Too often they're used as an escape or a distraction or a way of numbing ourselves. But they will always eventually lead us to the exact same place that they led the prodigal son and all the other prodigal sons before and after him. Okay, so what else? What else is there? Where else can I search for meaning? Well, in reality, not everybody is working for the weekend, right? Some people are working on the weekends. Some people are working all the time. That's their purpose. That's their meaning and their value in life. Always striving to achieve more. Always working to earn more and to build more. And they live for their work. So the, the preacher tries that hat on too. Look at verse 4. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. 
made gardens and parks for myself, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. Bought male and female slaves, and had home-born slaves. Also I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. If someone once says that they that no one ever laments on their deathbed having not worked enough, right? Oh man, I wish I just had a few more hours to spend time on spreadsheets now that I'm dying. Nobody thinks that. But for some people, it's, it's such an obsession, right? It's so important. Work makes us feel important because people need us and they depend on us and, and we're the only ones that can do the things that we do. And maybe we think that in, in some way our work is our legacy. That's what's going to live on after we're gone. But whatever work we do, Solomon did bigger things, better things, more important things. And he discovers that his work is just as fleeting and meaningless. It'll be forgotten and will be replaced. And all of it's going to be handed over to someone else anyway. Work is not the meaning of life. What else? What else do people search for meaning in? Let's keep reading in verse 8. I provided for myself male and female singers. Okay, there we go. Music, arts. That's something that people will pour their heart and soul into. That's a good contribution to the world. Solomon would say, yeah, that's great, but your song's going to be forgotten. What else? He says, and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Solomon was famous for that. Sex. Oh man, we idolize this one. And maybe more than most things that we strive after, this one has the ability to just hollow us out, twist us. This one has this ability to make us look at, at other people's daughters and sisters as objects. And, and too many people have allowed passion to dictate their beliefs. And, and lust, it just drives us to those dead-end streets and leaves us cold and lonely. It does not ever deliver on the promises that it makes. Solomon keeps going, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. Did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart was pleased because of all my labor. This was the reward for all my labor. In other words, he says, I did it all. Anything else that you can think of, throw anything else out there. Name any other thing that you think is really, really important and super meaningful and the whole purpose of my existence. Whatever you could name, he's done. And he did it well. He did it right. Says he was proud of the work that he'd accomplish. That was his reward. His heart was pleased with what he had done. Does that mean that it was meaningful? Does that mean that that work was 
valuable, not in vain. Now look at verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. Behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. None of the things that he tries turn out to have any lasting value. None of them answer his questions about the meaning of life. Work and pleasure, wealth, all fleeting. Why even be wise then? Why, why even uh, search? Why even think about these kinds of things? Why not just be a fool? Maybe it's better to be foolish. Verse 12, So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I know that one fate befalls them both. And I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. Inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. The wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me. Because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I've labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. So the final thing that this preacher evaluates is wisdom over foolishness. Because no one that comes after the king is going to do any more than he's already done. And I don't think that this is an exaggeration. His achievements really are that huge. It's not like somebody is going to come after him and say, Solomon, you just didn't work hard enough. You just didn't drink enough wine or the right kind. No, none of those things are never going to give us meaning under the sun. But what about wisdom? His conclusion is that wisdom is way better than foolishness. Just like it's better and, and safer 
to walk around in the light instead of in the darkness. It's good to be wise. But wisdom is not the meaning of life. And, and why does he say? Because the wise man and the fool will both end up in the same place, the grave. And no one's going to remember the wise man any more than they're going to remember the fool. They'll both be forgotten. Death is that great equalizer and it is inescapable. At this point in his sermon, what we see from the preacher is this very real, very deep emotion. It's grief. And I don't, again, I don't think that he's acting here. I don't think he's exaggerating when he says, I hated life. The work which had been done was grievous to me because of all of this futility. I hated the fruit of my labor because I realized that it was just going to be handed over to the man who comes after me. It's almost like this, this preacher catches a glimpse of the future and sees his children and his children's children dismantling everything that he had worked so hard to build. Everything that he took so much pride in would be destroyed. It would not last. And so not even his great wisdom can give his life any real meaning or lasting value. And so he, after trying, trying everything that he could possibly think of, after surveying all that he has experimented with and done in his life, after seeing it all, he sits down and grieves. And, and I think that th- that is the right response. I think that's the honest response. I, I think that He intends for us to, to join Him in this search for something that matters and to come to the same conclusions that He's come to and, and to also grieve over those things that we thought were so important. Things that we loved so deeply and things that we invested so much of our lives into. When faced with the reality that we will one day die and none of those things that we've done under the sun matter, it should cause us to grieve. And, and it's, a, it's a grief that maybe a, a teenager would feel as they're cleaning out their closet and find an old game or an old toy that they used to love to play with. That for them, back when they were six years old, that was the meaning of life. It was everything. And now they realize, okay, maybe that wasn't the whole meaning of life after all. Or deeper still, it's a grief that, that's felt by a man in his 30s who was a football star all through high school and college, but those days are over and now he's got a family and he's got kids. Maybe football was never really the whole meaning of life. 
And he knows that now. (laughs) But man, it sure seemed like it back then. And he misses it. Or deeper still, it's the grief that's felt by a by a couple in their 50s who's taking their last child off to college. And there's, there's joy, but also a lot of grief as they remember all the family meals and the vacations and the house filled with laughter. Such a joyful season of life, but now it's over. And it was so short, so fleeting. Even deeper still, it's this, this grief felt by an old man who has done everything that you could possibly do in life. Work and play and family and friends and wealth and travel and toys. And realizes that none of those things are eternal. None were lasting. None of them were the meaning of life. And so he grieves. Not because those things were bad, not because he, he hated them, but because none of it is meant to last. None of it's eternal. But we were made for eternity. That's the problem. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in our hearts. So it is natural that we would search for significance and meaning and value. Something that doesn't, that doesn't just float away so quickly. But everything in this cursed and fallen world is fleeting. Everything goes away. This preacher's grief comes from a desire for more, for, for something that, that's eternal. He desires that while standing stranded on this temporary island. I, my, my guess is that many of you here have felt at least a hint of that kind of grief and longing. If not, you will at some point in your life. So what then? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? Now, do we just give up? Is that... Uh, the right response, just check into a monastery somewhere and live as monks the rest of our lives. If it's all meaningless, then why, why do any of these things? Why laugh? Why sing? Why eat? Why drink? Why go to work? Why make love? Why do anything? How do we view all of those things that he evaluates and says are fleeting and meaningless? How do we handle them? I think to answer that question, it's maybe helpful to go back to that dude sitting in the slop with the pigs. When the prodigal son comes to his senses, 
he realizes that everything that he thought would give his life value and meaning and joy was fleeting and empty, and so he grieves over those things. He mourns because of his condition. He regrets his actions. And, and from this, this place of, of poverty, he groans and, and gains some clarity about the things in life that really matter and things that don't. The preacher wants us to realize the fleeting vanity of the things that we do under the sun so that we can begin to let them go. Or, or at least so that we can begin to put them in their proper place. And then start to hunger for things that matter. The son who has horribly dishonored his father doesn't even think that the relationship can be restored. Not after what he has done. And, and he isn't even asking for, for that kind of restoration. He just wants to go be a slave in his father's household. And so filled with shame, he walks back towards that house that he used to think he hated living in after having wasted so much. After all the partying and the drinking and the eating and the carousing, and finally he goes home. And what does the father do? The father runs to him and puts his robe on him and puts a ring on his finger and puts sandals on his feet and kills the best calf and throws the best party. I'm sure used the best wine and had the best music. And the prodigal son must have been blown away. Surprised and moved and grateful at the father's response. And now, now instead of despising these good gifts from the father's hands, the son is able to accept them with gratitude and with humility. And I'm sure he doesn't feel worthy. The son who, who thought that eating and drinking and partying was the whole meaning of life now realizes that those things are not important. The relationship with his father is what is important. Viewing pleasure or work or food or anything else on this earth as the meaning of life is a version of idolatry that dooms us. However, when we view these exact same things as, as a gracious gift from our loving Heavenly Father that are meant to help deepen and nurture our relationship with Him, it frees us. Look, look what the preacher says in chapter 2, verse 24. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink. Tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it's from the hand of God. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? No one. That's the answer. No one can. Not for very long. 
That's exactly what the prodigal son tries to do, to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in life without the Father, but you can't, and neither can we. We're meant to enjoy the good things that God has given us. Our work and our family and music and food and wine and thank God for those blessings and enjoy them in the right way. Not to worship them. Not anymore. Instead, to crave eternal things. Jesus says to a woman at a well, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the kind of water we're supposed to long for. Jesus says to this hungry mob who wants him to give them more loaves and fishes, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Under the sun, there is nothing that remains. It all fades and is forgotten. It's all going to be consumed by death. But there is this eternity that is offered to us. There's this way back to the Father's house. There's there's this hope and this life that lie beyond this world. And that that lifeline to eternity, to things that truly matter, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything in this world will perish. But, But God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God, thank You so much for that promise and that hope that You've given us. Lord, right now, we want to admit, confess that so much of our time and energy and attention in life has been focused on things that ultimately don't matter, won't last. We confess that we too have been rebellious, searching for happiness and hope and meaning in temporary things. But God, we recognize that eternal joy and real meaning and value in this life are found only in You. Thank You, God, that in this life You have given us good things. Blessings that we can enjoy. Dear God, help us not to worship those things but to worship You, our good and loving and gracious Heavenly Father. Thank You so much, Lord, that even when we were so far away, You found a way to bring us near to You. You welcomed us back home again. Thank You, God, for the blessings that You've given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.